Fantastic. How good were the worship team tonight? How amazing were they tonight? Let's give it up for them. Thank you, guys. We'll see you guys in a little second. But um, worship has got like a really special uh, place in my heart. So when I first became a Christian and when I went to Bible college, um, I left Bible college and my first sort of church role, church ministry position was a worship leader. Would you believe? I sang with a Scottish accent and nobody cared because <laughs> I was in the UK and everybody could actually understand me and I could speak at my normal pace. I'll slow down now. But tonight was amazing. Uh, so far has been so good. Jason and the team led so well. And one of the songs that they led literally just lines up and sets a foundation for what I'm gonna talk about tonight. And the line is this, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. All of my life you have been faithful. I like a lot of you here, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I wasn't born into a Christian house. I wasn't raised a Christian. I had uh, quite a different upbringing to what you would kind of want to raise your kids as. So I can look back with hindsight and say to God, all my life, you have been faithful. Even in those times when I didn't even know who God was, Jesus was a swear word. All of those times where I was just doing my own thing in my own way, trying to do the best I could, all my life, God was faithful. Amen. And tonight, um, Pastor Mark kind of spurred this message on earlier on this week. He, he just kind of uh, encouraged me just to, to be myself, and that's a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> so I kind of took that and then came back about 50% and just kind of decided to do something a little bit, a little bit more normal. But um, what I wanted to talk about tonight was in my vast 42 years of life experience, yeah, you can laugh at that, but in my vast amount of experience, I wanted to just bring a few life lessons. Life lessons from a 42-year-old. So take that how you wanna take it, but I hope you will take it well because, you know, life is, life is just interesting for every single one of us. We all face our own things. We all face our own ups and our own downs, our own battles and our own wins. But I'm in a slightly reflective mood kind of recently. I'm 42 years old. I'm about to become a dad for the first time. I know, I know. And, um, and like if, if you don't know, we're having a girl. And, 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 I, and I asked, in my heart of hearts, I asked God, that, we would, that I would have a daughter. I just wanted a daughter. Selfishly, because I didn't want to have like a kind of a rough housing kind of little boy. I, I, can't, I can't be doing with that, to be honest with you. I can't be doing with a rough housing little boy. Knowing God, I'm going to have a rough housing little girl, but that's, that's just kind of what I'm going to have to put up with. The sass rather than the punches. But um, it's just got me in a reflective mood, thinking about, my life so far and what's ahead and kind of what's kind of coming up because like in 42 years, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but like my body has started to change in kind of <laughs> weird ways. It's like things are happening and, and I'm not in control of them. Like I, I got a scratch on my elbow in isolation. I was at home doing nothing. 
I scratched my elbow and all of a sudden my elbow's infected. I, like, I get out of bed and stub my toe and I'm, like, one of my toes is like black. Like my body has started to just kind of like turn on me and just like, hey Neil, slow down. You're getting old, buddy, just take it easy. But in my 42 years of life so far, I've had some twists and some turns, but all along I can say God has been faithful. Now, I'm not about to impart some grand inspiration or wisdom because I'm only halfway through, at the very least, how long I'm gonna be here for. But Hebrews 10, 24 says that we should consider how we could spur each other on in love and good works. And if my journey and my mistakes and my sort of like kind of left turns when I should have gone right, if they can help somebody tonight to maybe not make that mistake or maybe not make that turn, then everybody will have had a good night. Mrs. Cartledge actually this morning preached such a good message. It really, really was. Catch it on podcast or if you're from the Morrifield location, catch it when she preaches at Morrifield. But she mentioned something and it really resonated. She said that we are not products of our environment. We are not products of our environment, but that we are clothed with the opinions that others put on us. And that we need to shake off those grave clothes and get past what others think about us, moving towards thinking about what God thinks about us. And it really just ties into really kind of like, Pastor David calls it like your life message. It ties into what I believe is pretty much the only thing that I ever really kind of talk about and is who are you gonna get your identity from? Like whose words are you gonna put on? What clothes are you gonna wear? So we're gonna keep it as practical as possible and I'm just gonna go through three lessons that I've learned and hopefully potentially they can help you learn some lessons too. You ready for the first one? Yes. Cool. So life lesson number one is the church is your family. The church is your family. So I was raised by my mom and my dad in Scotland, in the UK, as best that they could. They were a young couple and they uh, had had one uh, miscarriage before me. And when I came along, I was a pretty much a kind of like a, well, they tell me it was a happy accident. They, they did the best that they could. And very, very shortly after, maybe a year or, so, year or so after I came along, my brother came along as well. And at a very young age, he was diagnosed with leukemia. So it's kind of cancer of the blood, basically. And he had chemotherapy. And later, because of events, he suffered some severe brain damage, which left him in, a, um, in basically just a vegetative state. And it was all caused, would you believe it, by just a common cold virus that entered his body, traveled to his brain, and caused severe damage. He, undergo, he underwent chemotherapy, during which time he was an absolute pain in my butt. During chemotherapy, he was an absolute nightmare because he had to be wrapped up in cotton wool. Because when you go through chemotherapy, essentially your immune system is eradicated. You have zero defense against any infections, cuts, bruises, bangs, bumps, harsh words. These all cause damage to you. Well, 
That's what it felt like. As like a four-year-old who my little brother was just literally just whacking me, whacking me, whacking me. And all I wanted to do was give him a smack in the head back, but I wasn't allowed. Paul actually ended up in a coma during this period of time. Um, And eventually when he came out of the coma and he was in remission from leukemia, they had gotten rid of the leukemia, but he was in recovery from that until one Scottish winter time. Now you all don't even know what winter time is. (laughs) But one Scottish winter time, it was snowing outside, it was the middle of the night. And we lived in on the fourth floor, fourth floor of a block of flats or apartments. And the very kind gentleman in the ground floor decided it'd be a great idea to set his flat on fire. So we had to rush out of the, of the apartment in the middle of the night. My little brother in recovery from having leukemia and essentially this virus just attacked him and gave him essentially brain damage. We lost most of our possessions that night, physically. My mum and dad essentially lost one of their sons, and I lost my brother. As a consequence of this for me, childhood was filled with hospital visits and financial hardship, uh, physical caution where I you know, just had to look after things a little bit differently, and parents who just worked themselves raw trying to keep everything together. Extended family during this time weren't much help either. They were quite divisive and, uh, and not very helpful. Uh, my grandma at the time, you know, my brother was two years old when all of this kind of happened to him. My grandma at the time, as soon as he was uh, diagnosed with brain damage and he was in a coma, uh, she literally turned around to my mom and dad and said, what are you going to do with it? Her grandson had suddenly become an it. There was genuine alcoholism in the house. There was drug use. There were fights, affairs, divorce, etc. A lot of which some of you will have experienced as well. I wasn't introduced to Christianity until actually a later age. And it was when we had left Scotland and I now lived in London. And maybe I was about 18. My, my hometown was famously divided between Catholic and Protestant uh, churches. You were either Catholic or Protestant, and if you belonged to neither, well, you were just on the out 100%. But the Protestant church had a marching band, and they used to actually march through the town center of the Catholic town. (laughs) Which actually kind of ended up in some brawls, like pretty much every year. There's a story, I don't know whether it's a rumor or a myth or a legend, but there's a, there's a story that goes, you know those big drums that the marching bands use? There's a story that somebody got thrown through one of those one year. My parents both came from that kind of traditional religious background, but had completely walked away from it by the time I came along. My mom actually, yeah, once dabbled in being a Jehovah's Witness, but she couldn't actually hack all of the religious restrictions and, and stuff like that. And, and our family had actually been burned quite badly uh, by a faith healer who had come through town and had basically extorted the family for money because he said he was gonna pray for my brother and he was gonna get better. 
you can see why we weren't a church-going family. However, the time that I stepped foot, the very first time that I, of my own choice, stepped foot inside of a church, I knew I was home. In my heart of hearts, it had nothing to do with my brain, it had nothing to do with my feelings, I had nothing to base it on, but I knew that I was home. I'd found family. Don't get me wrong, I love my biological family, I do. They're, they're weird, they're wacky, they're all sorts of colors, but I love them. But it was in my church family that I found acceptance, received guidance and direction. I joined the family of God full of life, laughter and hope, and all the things that were severely lacking in my life seemed to make sense. I take Hebrews 10, 25 very, very seriously where it says that we should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because it's when we come together, it's the unity that we find in the church that actually gives us that solid foundation that we can go through the rest of our week with. You do realize tonight that the people that are sat beside you to the left and to the right are your brothers and your sisters. They're not biological, but you didn't get to choose your biological siblings either. So don't look at the people sat around you thinking that they're black sheep of the family. You're the black sheep in this family. Your brother and your sister sat beside you are your family. And in this family that God has placed us in, we know that we can trust him because he's got a reason for what he is doing. Because the church is our family, we can learn to hold our own preferences and priorities loosely. That helps us navigate the apparent unfairness of life. And we learn that it's not about us or what we can get, but it's about relationship with others and what we can give that's actually more important. The church is your family. Lesson number two, everybody say lesson number two. Travel light. Travel light. When I left school, high school, all I wanted to do was join the army. <laughs> Look at me. All I wanted to do was join the army and, and become an electrical and mechanical engineer. I wanted to work on helicopters. That's all I wanted to do. I knew the grades that I needed to get. I knew everything about joining. I was gonna join up at 16 years old. I was gonna spend three years training, do one year of active service, and then live the rest of my life how I wanted to live it. I knew everything about it. I got to the army recruiting center, ready to sign up on a dot. My parents didn't even know about this, by the way. But I was ready to sign up the rest of my life to join the army, my parents didn't know about it. I got there, and they had changed the grades. I know. I'm not academic in the slightest. <laughs> So I worked hard to get that D in maths. And they had changed it on me. But you know what? The, the army recruiting officer was very nice. He said, don't worry, you can join the infantry. I was like, okay. And then I can transfer across. So they gave me a date to come back and to sign up to join the infantry. And it was my birthday, so I was like, the stars are aligning, everything's coming into place, this is gonna happen, this is what's meant to happen. I got there, they weighed me, and I was too light. And honestly, 
the guy literally said, physically, we are legally not allowed to let you sign up because you are so underweight. I know, like how the times have changed. You could sign up in a heartbeat now. I literally went away and for a year, I am honestly, as God is my witness, for a year, I ate three cooked breakfasts a day and drank just constant like Sustagen, Ensure, like these calorific drinks. And I put on, I am not joking, zero. <laughs> All my life, God has been faithful. All my life. But I tell you something, hindsight says all my life God's been faithful, but the dream that I had had died and was gone. The literal trajectory for my life, everything I'd worked on and planned on was gone. What am I gonna do now? I had no plan B. I didn't have a clue what else I could do. So what I was gonna do. So I actually ended up going to Bible college, <laughs> as you do studying for a degree in theology. I'm not academic. Why am I doing this? But as I was doing that, I get a phone call in my second year of Bible college. A phone call from my mom to tell me that my mom and my dad had been evicted from their council housing because they hadn't been playing by the rules. They'd been basically bending the rules pretty severely. So they had been evicted from their house. The house that contained all of my possessions, all my childhood trinkets and knickknacks and memories were all either had been sold by my parents already to try and clear their debts or had been repossessed in order to pay off their debts. I was left with what would, what would fit in a pretty decent sized suitcase and possessions that fit into a room in Bible college that's pretty much the same size as the drum rug Everything I owned was in there. All my life, God has been faithful though. But imagine all of your childhood memories, keepsakes, trinkets being taken away from you. 1 John 2, 15, 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Traveling light just teaches me, and hopefully you can learn from this, to, that materialism and material possessions are nice. Of course they are. I love expensive things to Julie's ire. Like, I love two expensive things. But they're things of the world. They're possessions. They are very fleeting. They go very quickly. And I've learned that, the, that to be on the path that God has set out for you is far more blessed than having anything that you desire. All this to say, Dreams coming, going, possessions coming, going. Our lives are not to be bogged down by or determined by what we have or what we don't have. Because all of that is like smoke. It's like dust. 
so that it just crumbles in our hands, but seeking the will of God, seeking the will of God and traveling light through life is a good lesson to learn. Lesson number three, be true to who God says you are. And this is, for me, my, my life's work, my life's goal is to continuously seek after becoming who God says I am, rather than what the world would say I was. I had left school, I'd failed at applying to the army, so I'm stood there going, what do I do now? And I actually ended up getting a job as an usher in a theater in the West End of London, which is pretty cool. Like, it's pretty cool. I, I developed a love of the theater because of that, and I ended up working backstage, and this, that, and the other, and it was fantastic. But I will tell you something very clearly. All, everything that had happened in my life up to that point was kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. But as soon as I started working in the theater, I realized that I had lived a very sheltered life. <laughs> Believe me, I had lived a very sheltered life. Let me add some color to this picture. I went from the life that knew like a reasonable, I would, I would call myself a very working class family person. We didn't have excess, we didn't have savings, we didn't have this, we had the food in the cupboards and that was pretty much, if we were doing that, we were doing good. But I then entered into a world that was all about excess. And in an effort to fit into this environment as a very awkward 16 year old, I entered into a very adult and permissive world. I became immersed in that world. Alcohol and drugs and parties and, and just hooking up with whoever basically was around that would have me. I dived as deep as I possibly could, genuinely, into that world because here's the thing. When you receive acceptance and when you receive love, when you have grown up with little of both of those things, you're gonna go straight into that and you're gonna grab it with both hands and you're gonna take it and become anything that you need to become in order to receive more of that because the voices that were in my life were telling me who I was. I found my identity in those voices because I was welcomed with open arms into those communities. And that ultimately led me to a very, very deep place of doubt personally. Now, this part of my story is very real, and it's not a story that I would share from the stage. So if there is anything that you would like to talk about from that sort of personal doubt or personal identity level, please come and talk to me, 100%. It's not necessarily something that I would share just in a public forum. But what I've come to realize is this, trying to find out who I was and where I fit into the world drew me into a place that ultimately would lead me to destruction. Until I found another voice that led me to a place of fruitfulness and safety and love that didn't demand something from you 
in that sort of exchange mentality, I found the voice of God. And it was when I found that voice, I found my identity. See, I've since found this. It's easier to recognize who you're not when the voice that's strongest in your life is telling you who you are. So when I have the voice of God telling me who, I'm, who I am, confirming that I am loved, that I am enough, that I am gifted, that I am set apart, I have a purpose, I have a plan, there is a destiny that's put aside for me, I can make that my model for who I am, which allows me to then say no to the things that I'm not, to those, those directions, those opportunities, those, those temptations that would lead me down a different avenue, a different path, I can recognize that I am not them now that I know who I am. There's a psychologist that I found this week called David Benner. He's a Canadian, so I already love him. And he, his whole sort of seeking out and his whole um, sort of MO is this, to seek to help people live the human journey in a deeply spiritual way and the spiritual journey in a deeply human way. I love that. Just naturally supernatural. Just a natural spirituality. He says this, an identity grounded in God would mean that we, when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? The strongest thing that God tells us is that we're loved. Beyond anything, before anything, even Jesus, we hear and read in the Bible, Jesus, before he did anything, was baptized, and as he came out of the water, this is my son in whom I, 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 whom I love. Before he did anything, and he's the son of God. He loves us. He loves us, and when our identity is found in Jesus, we no longer have room for fear. We no longer have room for fear of the future or anything that can happen around us. The waves come, the waves go. Financial collapse happens. Money comes back in. We lose our job, we find something else. We get COVID, we get better. You know, Julie, Julie actually got COVID and I, and I spent the week with her. Like, we didn't isolate from each other. We were in the same house for the entire week and I'm waiting, just waiting <laughs> for this positive result to happen. I've got, I've got surgery booked in a couple of weeks. I'm like, can I get it over now so that I can get through it all so that I've got my surgery lined up? And I'm like, just cough on me. <laughs> just lick my face or do something. But I am, I am obviously made of stronger stuff being Scottish. And I'm complete like, just it didn't happen, man. It just didn't happen. But... When we recognize that God bought us with his blood, we can claim our true identity in that righteous act. We can trust beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that he will provide us with everything that we need to live this life. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been faithful. Maybe the band can come up. Romans 14 says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? It doesn't actually matter what's happening. Of course it hurts. Of course it's real. Of course we're gonna just go through things. Things happen in this life. We're not exempt from hardship, but we are the Lord's. Those who have their identity in Him have that security to fall back on. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. If there's a thread that you could pull through this whole thing tonight, a line that could be drawn from you to Jesus, it's this. If we seek to live a humble life, following as best we can the plan and purpose of God, then Jesus will be worshiped and his kingdom will be advanced. That's his responsibility. It's his church. We're part of it. We get to play a part in this scheme. Find your family in the house of God. Hold the things of this world lightly with open hands and trust in who God says that you are.